0: Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. All right, my nerves are shot now. My name's Serena. I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, Ken. That was awesome. It was great. And you dressed up way more than I did. And uh, there's a couple of rules that I heard about that um, I have to tell you that my children are here tonight, at least the ones I know about. And um, (laughs) they're here to keep me in check, you know, so uh, and they've heard my story, so they know the deal. But unfortunately, parts of my story are going to be difficult. Because I can't swear, and so I hope you girls can. We can do it afterwards in the parking lot. We can swear it up, but during the meeting, i got to keep it clean. (laughs) So uh, my recovery began uh, September 27th, 1997. I don't really call it my sobriety date. Better? I don't call it my sobriety date because I've tried to get sober a couple of times. And for me, being sober was just living with the absence of alcohol in my life. And recovery has been learning to live life on life's terms, even though Alan hates that expression, I think. Trying to live life on life's terms without using alcohol as my solution. Uh, so a little bit about me, my causes and conditions. Uh, I am the first born American in my family. My parents are Irish. Um, so that's right there, the causes and conditions. I really don't need to say anymore. <laughs> So my parents are both Irish, and they came out to the States, and when I was born, my dad had about 10 years in recovery, and uh, he named me Serena after the serenity prayer because he took one look at me and said, this one's going to need this prayer, (laughs) and he was right. And I'll just tell you, so the catalyst for my father's recovery was uh, my parents lost two children before I was born, and one of them was due to a car accident my father was in when he was drinking on Christmas Eve. And it was before I came along, but then I came along on my brother's birthday, nine years after him. So I came into this world with that shadow on me. And like all good Irish families, you know, you have a tragedy that just haunts you forever. Um, so that was the beginning for me. And um, so I knew about AA. I thought I knew about AA. My mom was in Al-Anon, and uh, my dad was in AA. And um, my parents got divorced, and my father got deported, uh, up to Orcas Island. Um, he got deported to Canada as that was his first place of entry. And, um, but he went up to Orcas Island. He had met a lovely woman here in Alcoholics Anonymous and the pair of them ran off together. And, uh, but I would go and visit my dad every summer up on the islands. And when I was 11, my father moved back to Ireland, which didn't really upset me until I was sober. And somebody said, man, that must have been really hard. I was like, oh my God, you know what? It, that really sucked. Hold on a minute. (laughs) Uh, but in another way, it's great because now I got to go to Ireland instead of Orcas Islands, you know what I mean? So, um, and so I went to Alatine for a minute, you know, because my mom was going to Alanon, so I'd go to Alatine. But, you know, we would just smoke weed and sit there and talk crap, you know? So it wasn't really, I didn't do anything. And, um, and I was afraid of drinking when Ken talked about that. You know, I was terrified of drinking because of, there was so much alcoholism in my family and I didn't want to let my father down. Um, but once I, let go of that fear, man, it was fantastic. It was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life, and mainly because I did not care what anybody thought about me anymore. You know, my whole life I spent just feeling like an outsider. You know, my parents are Irish. Then my mother married a, f- a guy from Finland. Holy shit. Excuse my French. And then, um, you know, so I had a very different experience growing up than my other Southern Californian friends, you know? Um, Very much different. So... uh So the drink really, man, it just gave me everything I was missing, man. It just filled up that hole inside where I felt different and I didn't feel right. There's something wrong with me always. And I also carried this thing where I wish my brother had been here instead of me. Carried that with me a long time. And always on my birthday, I would get just hammered, man, because I really wished he was here just to be a big brother even. So... Uh, so I got really into drinking and I would ditch school and get into trouble and all the rest of it. And I went to Ireland before this, I went to Ireland to visit and I absolutely loved it. Uh, completely different. And now I was an outsider, but in a good way, I was the Yank. So it was really, you know, like I had some credibility a little bit. I thought, you know, being different. Uh, and when I went back to California, I got into as much trouble as I could. Cause I knew my mother would send me back there, which she did. And, you know, my mother been telling me since I was like 12, you're an alcoholic. And I said, well, let me get a drink in me first and then we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> Always on me about you got a problem. Uh, and at 13, I did start drinking and I started going hard. You know, I was ditching school. I was getting into trouble in school. I got arrested. Um, and I think getting arrested and then I was fighting with my stepfather all the time. And back then in the eighties, my, um, my mom was into a thing called tough love. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of it. it Should have just been called tough because it was hard. Um, You know, it was like this thing. She was trying to be super strict with me. If I left a light on my room, she'd take the light bulb out. (laughs) What the hell kind of conditions are these? So I ran away a lot, and my mother is not an alcoholic. My mother is a person who used to tell people she had an allergy to alcohol, and I really thought she did because she would have a drink and have a hangover for, like, a week. She would come to Ireland and visit me years later, and my aunties would just get her slaughtered because I thought it was so funny to see her, like, wearing sunglasses for a week and still vomiting. They're like, "Geez, she's such a lightweight... So I really thought that's what an al- like an allergy to alcoholism was. Like you just could not tolerate alcohol. And so my mother had a lot of alcohol in her house because for me, only non alcoholic can have three bars. And I promptly went through the drink and would fill up the, uh, you know, the drink with the various colors, you know, uh, apple juice for whiskey and like that. So anyway, um, long story short is I got into uh, some trouble. I had run away from home and uh, got into a big old fight with my stepfather. And so my mother said, you got to go. You know, and I think for her, it was like, you got to go to Ireland where it's going to be safer to be doing the kind of stuff you're doing. So great. And that was the day before I turned 16. And it was back in the day when you could smoke on a plane. And if you looked 18 in Ireland, they'd give you a drink. So I got hammered on the way home. Fantastic. I got off the plane, met my dad. I was going to live with my dad and his girlfriend who was younger than my older sister. It was kind of weird. And, um, and my father at this stage was kind of, you know, 30 years sober. And um, so I went to stay with him. So at 16, I could go into a bar in Ireland and I could sit at the bar and I can get served. And when Bill W. talks about in his story, he had arrived, so had I. No more fishing outside the liquor store for a drink. Now I could sit at the bar. I mean, it was fantastic. I didn't go to school. I was going to get an education in life in Irish history. And that was it. And but it kind of went from me being like this outsider who was cool to this outsider who was like, who's your one? You know what I mean? Like, look at the haircut of that one. And um, I it, I wasn't so uh, such the novelty. You know what I mean? People thought I was a heroin addict. I was a gothic like right. My hair stood up and I wore crosses. And um, So. Uh, I, you know, I got away with my drinking for quite some time in Ireland, but there was something in me that knew That it just wasn't working. I was the one in the morning who would just feel horrific, man. And I thought everybody could tell what I was thinking. I felt like a piece of glass that people could see through. And, you know, like I said, I'd I'd quit school, so all I really did was drink. I was on the dole in Ireland, and I lived to drink and drink to live. It was the only way I could really get along with people. I quickly moved out of my dad's house, and uh, so at 16 I was living in the town on my own. Great freedom, you know. And I just, really, I spent all of my time thinking about drinking and drinking. Um, at a certain point then, I tried to get sober. Uh, I was like 18, um, and I was still in Ireland. And uh, a series of events had taken place, and my father used to ask me, you know, like, every time you drink, do you get in trouble? And I was like, well, yeah, maybe. And he's like, well, you should think about that. And do you think drinking is a privilege, or do you think it's a right? I said, it's a right. Are you kidding me? It's not a privilege. Um, so I had these ideas and, uh, I decided I went to a, uh, I went to a convention in Ireland to have them. And, uh, and I had somebody kind of 12 step me and I thought, well, this is great, you know. So I got sober for a short period of time and never, never got a sponsor, never cracked a book. Um, and I just was kind of the novelty being the young person in the rooms. Um, but it, I started thinking, about I'm too young. I'm too young for this. I haven't even lived life. You know what I mean? It's just a bit of a drink problem. And now that I've been sober, at least I know I can do it. And I was off and running again. And I went from Ireland to England because Ireland got too small for me. So I went to England where I could be a whole new person. Nobody knew me except for one person. And uh, lo and behold, I brought myself with me, which is always a pain in, in the butt. When you realize you brought yourself and all your character defects with you and keep meeting the same types of people and getting in the same kind of situations, you know? Uh, and so I grew, we're in with a group of people there who are very committed to certain beliefs and ideas. There are a bunch of people who are in the ALF, the Animal Liberation Front, and, um, they're a hardcore vegetarian. And I wasn't, but I said I was. And I would get hammered, and then I'd go and get a burger and hope that they didn't smell the beef on my breath. <laughs> And I always had a story made up that if somebody said, oh, my God, mate, I see you, you know, eating a burger. I'd be like, was that a burger? I asked for a mushroom burger. Oh, my God. You know, I always had these stories. <laughs> I wasn't committed to anything. I just was committed to getting loaded. And whoever had me in their company, great, you know. Um, and I did that. I just, you know, I was just constantly, I didn't work, um, still getting the dole. And the people I ran with, they all they all drank all the time. They were into all kinds of criminal activity that I was terrified of because I was an American uh, in England without a visa there. And uh, one time I got arrested there and I had a jacket on. It had a big anarchy sticker or sign on the back. And when I got arrested, the cops, they're saying, so are you an anarchist? I'm like, oh, my God, no, this is not my jacket. It's my friend's. I'm just holding it for her. I <laughs> I was going to get deported. Uh, drunken disorder. I got a huge fine, though. And... Um, and I knew again, man, I knew I just was constantly getting into trouble, but it wasn't even just about the trouble, it was that feeling I had within, that demoralization, that anything I did, it just didn't matter, and always comparing how I felt to other people, and other people look like they are getting away with it, and I just could not. Uh, so at about 18, 19, it all blurs together, I uh, went into treatment in England, and on my way into treatment, I drank, I met this other Irish guy, and we're just... Drinking special brews into the place and that was fine. And then when we were in there, I was in there for a month. They would let us go home on the weekends. I don't really know what they were thinking. They wouldn't let the heroin addicts out for a cigarette, but the alcoholics they were letting go home and there's a bar right at the end of the road, you know. So sure enough I drank and uh never got caught coming back in. So there was a part of me that wanted to be sober, but that part was just was not big enough, you know. And and I was a liar. I was a liar, man. I would sit in that. Do you know what? All I learned in rehab really was that you kill thirty thousand brain cells every time you get drunk. that don't replenish, which really went over good in the bars later when I was twelve step and people drinking their drink. I was like a wealth of knowledge about what happens to your liver. Uh, and it, it it just didn't stick either. I, and when I came out of there, you know, I went and I went into a clean and sober house where in England they were mixed. It was men and women living together. Good times. And uh, and I got a home group and I made the tea. I was the tea maker. Coffee makers got it easy. In England, with the tea, you got to walk around with the tray and like cream, sugar, cream, sugar. It was horrific. And I had friends and I went to meetings and we went to dances and we did all kinds of social activities. I did not get a big book, I did not get a sponsor. I was a visitor. I was sober. And I went to visit one of my friends that I was running around with back in the day. And uh, as soon as I got on the train, I got drunk. As soon as I got up to her place, I was there for a weekend. Hardly remember any of it. I won her boyfriend in a poker game. I'll explain later. And, uh, ended up on my way back to Ireland in a mini. And minis in England are this big with his dog and all my stuff. And I went back to Ireland, just pulled up to the clean and sober house, took my tat and left, you know? Um, went back to Ireland. And that was it. I was really off and running big time. And it was there that I met the father of my children. And we had a very destructive yet reproductive relationship. <laughs> Cause we have three daughters, and uh, and it was crazy. And he was he was crazy. God love him. And uh, a worse alcoholic than I was, which was great, cause it made my drinking look like it was under control. And he was a bad man, very bad man. And uh, so, you know, my whole life was just surviving. Uh, I couldn't get sober, cause I couldn't leave him. And to stay with him, I had to stay in the bubble of drink. So I did that. And we came to the States when I was pregnant with my youngest daughter. We were going to get jobs and uh, four-letter word work and um, and buy some property back home in Ireland. None of this happened. So we come to the States, and anyway, he was just getting progressively worse and more violent, and we came up to Orcas Island, and uh, I left him. And I left with my three daughters, and I went to a shelter here in Seattle. That's how I got here. And, um, and I didn't drink when I was in the shelter. First day I got there, one of my kids ended up in ICU, and uh, after that, all kinds of stuff happened. And I went into, uh, transitional housing and my kids all got chicken pox one after the other. And I thought I need a drink because I've just been through head lice and chicken pox and I'm probably going to get it next. Cause I never had it. So I was off and running. I started drinking. I thought there's enough time had passed that I could drink. And I was like a, you know, a binge drinker who wanted to binge every day, you know? So, um, not easy to do when you're raising children. So, um, So I was all in all these programs and I had like case managers and I went back to school and got my GED and none of it mattered because it didn't matter what I did, that was good. You know, leaving my abusive husband, making a better life for my, none of it mattered. Cause the drink washed it all away. None of it stuck, you know, because I just always had this sinking hole with inside of me and I knew I was a liar and no good, you know, who was I fooling? Um, so my last night drinking, um, I had some friends over. I had a dinner party. I didn't eat, of course. I just drank my dinner and drank myself sober, which is horrible. Um, and in drinking myself sober, my friend and I were talking about, what well, do you think, you're an alcoholic? I don't know. I've never lost a job. I'm like, I've never had one. Um, <laughs> she's like, well, I've had a DUI. I'm like, I just learned how to drive like a year ago, so that's not happened yet. And, uh, and, you know, I just knew. I just knew. I had to concede to my innermost self. I'd known for years, but I did not want to take responsibility for the fact that I knew I was an alcoholic. I wanted somebody to come and airlift me out of my life, you know what I mean, and like take care of it. I wanted somebody to airlift me out of that abusive situation, and that's not how my higher power works, you know. Uh, And I definitely wanted somebody to come and airlift me, you know, and, and get me together, and that didn't work. So the next morning I woke up, and I knew I was done. I just knew I was done, and I called my mother and told her course she was like, I knew what I've been telling you for years you know, she was so excited and uh, always had been telling me those people in AA are so nice you should go see them. Just hang out with them. They're lovely people. Uh, so I told my mother and then there was no turning back. You know, they talk about you have to admit to yourself into another human being. Well that human being is my mother and that was that. So at this stage my father had uh, had gotten sober again. He was out ripping and running on in the streets of Ireland, drinking on the streets and by the grace of God he got he got recovery again. So uh, I got sober on a Sunday. The next day, Monday, I had to go to school. I was in a program to do medical billing. I had two brain cells left, and one was in the bathroom constantly. I don't know what was going on. I had three little kids. They were super loud. Um, it was intense, you know, and uh went to the meeting. I would cry. Every time I went to a meeting, I was either crying or pissed off. Was I going to cry or kick somebody's ass out in the parking lot? I was constantly in this state of, you know, angst and just – I knew I couldn't drink anymore, but man, that was like the thing that got me through everything. It was my solution. It wasn't a problem. It was my solution to life. And without it, I had no clue. Like, who was I going to be without a drink in one hand and a cigarette in the other? I, I just didn't know. And uh, how was I going to read to my kids without drinking? I read to them every single night. thought that made me a good mother. So they asked me questions, and I'm like, this is not a big book study. This is not, you know what I mean? <laughs> With the questions, the pictures are in your head. <laughs> I don't have a college fund for my kids, but I have a psychiatry fund. Anyway, Uh, you know, I brought my kids to meetings. I brought my kids to meetings, and thank God for meetings that had childcare because I brought my kids with me to those meetings, and I got a break from them, and I got to be around other people. And when I came in the rooms, man, I felt like home, like people were talking my language. I couldn't believe it. All those people I was drinking with, they didn't talk about it the next day. They didn't seem to feel like the four horsemen sitting on their shoulders, man, but I did. Uh, they kept everything under wraps. And people here didn't drink like I drink in Ireland. You know, you can't, it's not acceptable when you have three small children to be drinking the way I was drinking. Um, so, you know, I came into the rooms. I admitted I was an alcoholic and I just kept doing things contrary to what my head would have me do. Like they would say, we have a, sp- a sponsor, co- sponsorship coordinator. And I thought, well, I've never tried getting a sponsor, so I'll get one. I didn't like the chick I asked to find me a sponsor and I barely liked the chick she gave me. But I did it, you know, just anything that my head told me, I was going to do it. I went to big book studies, I went to a big book study in a thing called Linwood. No idea what that was. I would pile my kids in the car and drive up there. We do these big book studies and we got to this part in the book where it was like, God is everything or God is nothing. Everybody's going around the room, oh yeah, God's everything, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, whatever, whatever. Maybe God is, maybe God is, not I don't really know. Why do we have this, that, and the other thing? they're like, oh, you're in a good spot, Serena, good for you. I get in the car, and I'm like, oh, my God, I was so kidding back there. I know you're everything. Please help me get home. I don't know where I5 is, you know? (laughs) Drive down the street, and there's I5. It was like a miracle. It was crazy. (laughs) And I always believed in God. I was like a closet case believer. You know, I don't want people to know I believed in God, but I did. But I believed in the God that was like Santa Claus, had like a secret camera, could see what I was doing all the time, read my thoughts. They were always bad going straight to hell. So I might as well drink like a fiend. Uh, you know, and I was so grateful that when I got here, I got to have a God of my own understanding. And the first thing I tried was to pray in bed and not kneel. I was talking about, well, oh, I kneel to pray I kneel every day. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm from the aerobics variety of religion, which is Catholicism. And I'm not doing it. It was my way of being rebellious. You know what I mean? So I would lay in bed and pray and see if I was get struck by lightning. Nothing happened. Um, and I worked, and I and I just kept, I just kept showing up, man, when I didn't want to. I'd go to meetings, and I'd be so pissed off, like my funding didn't come through for something I was supposed to do for school months ago that I left to the last day, and I'd be effing and blinding in the meetings, you know. And these older ladies be like, "Just keep coming back." I like... <laughs> And I remember one time this old lady said something that was fantastic. She said, well, I'm in here working my program, my alcoholics out there in the parking lot doing push-ups. I almost fell off my chair, man. I thought it was the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. <laughs> Where'd she come up with that? But it's true. It's so true. Um, and I used to hang around this group of women. So when I was nine months sober, I decided I had pretty much learned all I needed to learn. I got to nine months. You know what I mean? I'm kind of done now. And I didn't show up to my home group. And I'll tell you what, my friend, my dear friend who was there, she sent like the AA brigade to my house. And I was kicking it with this guy and he had, he was the only other single person I, parent that I knew and he could drink and he was raising his kid. And I'm like, I think I could do that. And, uh, and my friend must have smelt that on me, right? Because she was like, nope. So she sends these women up and they come to my house. They got their big books in their hands. They're all marching up my stairs. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this guy, they say to this guy, they're like, you can stay if you want. He's like, no, no, I'm cool. (laughs) He leaves and they come up and they sit around the table and they're like, so tell us your story. So I'm telling them, you know, my this, that happened and how hard my life was. And this one woman's like, huh, well, if you want to drink, like I'll buy you a drink. I'm like, I'm drinking with you people right now. And then she said to him, maybe you're not an alcoholic. Maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're, you just drank because you had a lot going on. I'm like how dare you! how dare you tell me I'm not an alcoholic? I am an alcoholic. It worked, you know, because I'm such a rebel. It totally works. Who do you think you are telling me? I'm like, give me that big book. But that's the beauty of this gig. You know what I mean? Is you get to diagnose yourself an alcoholic. Like I had people telling me all the time, you know, but I got to look through this first 164 pages with a person who loved me enough to do that for me. And let me tell you, when I got to the fourth step, I was like, It was a somber, cold day when so-and-so offended me. I got into detail. (laughs) And my sponsor was like, man, there is not enough time in history for you to write your four-step like that. Just stick to the details. Stick to the facts, you know, not the details. And, you know, her and I, we went out camping. We went out camping, and I read my fifth step to her, you know. And for two hours, I was not afraid of bears. And I just felt so much relief that this other human being understood the shame, the guilt, the, you know, driving with my car, my kids in my car when I was drunk, just horrible stuff that I had done. Um, and she understood and she loved me anyway. And she would say to me, let us love you till you can love yourself. And I just thought that's such, but I thought, okay, I'll try it. I'll try it, man. And when things were hard, I called people, I reached out, I made friends. Dear friends, friends like I had never had before, like people who told the truth, you know, and who would show up for you when they said they were going to show up for you. And we're looking for nothing in return. It's a miracle, man. It's really a miracle that we're all sitting here tonight. And uh, it's not been easy. I've walked through a lot in sobriety that I did not think I would be able to walk through. I kind of thought, OK, if that happens, definitely going to have to do like some hardcore drugs if that ever happens. Uh, I've walked through one of my children having an illness most of her life, you know, having a stroke. I've walked through, um, I got married and divorced in AA. Um, you know, I've I've walked through a lot. And uh, I was supposed to speak here last October. And I got the opportunity, the gift to go home and see my father before he died. And then my father and I were very close. I talked to my dad every day. He came out to live with me for three months when I first got sober and helped me take care of my kids while I went to school. And then uh, he came out to see me during y2k that whole fiasco and he said if anything happens all i want is two cans of hash corned beef hash and a packet of cigarettes and i'm good (laughs) bring it on and uh and we were great support to each other you know because we had drank together i used to drink when my dad introduced me to my ex-husband and you know they dealt drugs together i mean it was crazy it was pretty crazy i thought it was perfectly normal that you would have 30 years sober and then put the book on the shelf and be done and move on with your life not so much and um that's why I keep coming around, you know, relapse runs in my family. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to say that I was able to go and, and be with my dad, uh, be back in Ireland, not even think about having a drink, see people I used to know from back in the day. Um, it was hard. It was hard. And I got the gift to sit with my father for a whole night. By the time I got there, you know, my father's on morphine. I hope he knows I was there. I'm pretty sure he did. Pretty sure he orchestrated the whole thing to get his whole family together in one room. It's the kind of guy he was. Um, and what a blessing that that he died with 23 years sober, you know, after uh, being out for like six years and living on the streets. So this thing really works, but, you know, you got to put the effort into it. And I have to say that for me, being able to have a higher power has been the biggest gift AA has given me. There used to be a woman named Wanda. I don't see her anymore. And she used to say, I thank God for AA and I thank AA for God. And that's, that's true for me. And when I'm not feeling plugged in, you know, I come to meetings and I hear what I need to hear. You know, I, I hear messages through my higher power, through other people. Um, so if you're new, give yourself a chance. You know, you can go back. What do they say? You walk up to the nearest bar and they'll refund your misery. You know, um, I was going to tell you about that nine months, right? I decided, like, these women, okay, they talk me into staying sober or whatever. Uh, but also part of the reason I stayed sober is there was another woman struggling that day who was in my home group, and she said, I'll meet you tonight at a meeting. I went to the meeting. She never showed up. I called the next day to see how she was doing, and she was in jail because she had hit, like, the fountain up in Edmonds, drunk driving. I heard it was a horrible fountain anyway, but... Um, <laughs> You know, that's what happened to her. And that was like by the grace of God. And I also kind of thought, man, if I get to a year, there's no looking back. That's why I was kind of like, I don't really make it to the year, but I did. And it's not even about, you know, it's not about the, uh, the length of time I have. It's about the quality of time that I have. And I've been blessed and grateful to have a lot of good sponsors in my recovery and to sponsor other women. That is really such a gift to sit down with another person. You know, I give them hope and they give me hope. They really do, you know, and I'm just flashing uh, a bit of light down the road they haven't been down yet. You know what I mean? Like, I know nothing about being sober, about being a mother, about being a friend. work I don't know anything about that. So I need somebody else who's walked down the road further than me to show me. Um, so if you knew... We're fortunate these days we have texting because I, too, had to call my sponsor. I wish to God I could have texted her. And we have emojis, so (laughs) what more do you need? It's real simple. Just send, like, exclamation marks and smiley faces or sad faces. We know what's up. (laughs) So it's been a wild ride, and I just keep learning more and more and more. And I thought my life would be so boring, and what was going to be the point without a drink? Man, I couldn't imagine life with a drink today. And they talk about that in the big book. There'll come a time you won't know, you know, how to live with it, without it. And I, I'm just so grateful. It doesn't it doesn't even enter my head anymore, man. And if it does, it quickly leaves again. Um, and I've learned how to get along with people. That's a shock. <laughs> Once I put the drink down, man, my people problems really flared up. And, uh, And I've learned here how to get along with others, to learn some humility, to live by spiritual principles have some kindness and patience and tolerance towards others, but I couldn't get that until I had it for myself, and people in these rooms are the ones who showed me how to do that. So uh, I'm really grateful. I will explain the poker game later, Faye. Um, grateful to be here, and thank you all so much for my sobriety. I appreciate it.